New school or old school, sometimes it's hard to say you're sorry. Find out what we mean on this week's episode of the Indie Ball Report Podcast. Two five six. That's the episode number twenty five six or four. That's the episode here. Okay, my guy. Yeah, it kind of worked you know, out. That did work out. I'm very happy. So, that we know at least one manager who will be thrilled about that. We're gonna go ahead and smather in Chicago references throughout this episode. And one may think, oh, is that because our guest this week's in a Chicago tribute band? Yes, but also we're talking about Windy City this week, so it kind of works out. Windy City, that's me after a long night of barbecue. Is this a good podcast? No, it's not. It's a B minus podcast, but that's Notice. life. In the okay. City. That's how it goes. That's life in the Windy City. Oh my but, God. It's hard to say. I'm oh sorry God. for your fart jokes on someone else's podcast. Oh, Christ. All right. Yeah, we actually do want to get through all this stuff. We have Mike Pinto on this week, uh, which is very odd that you get to have someone on your show after you grade them. A B minus, although I thought we graded him a B and not a B minus, but that's really my life of me. I can't even find my list. So that's how I was doing last week. All right. Then. Well, either way, it's a, it's Southern Illinois minor, so it doesn't really matter because Mike Pinto's on the show this week and he's a, he was one of our better guests that we've had on. I think I said at the time top five and I'm going to stand by top five because it it was a really fun conversation, both baseball and non-baseball related. So looking forward to you guys hearing on you to grade the man one week and the next week put his podcast appearance during the appearance on a ranking is just unmatched. I don't hate it. It's just incredible to watch. I'm just saying I can go get Logan Watkins back on. We can discuss how you want to rate him a D. Hey, man, maybe don't. <laughs> now nah, I'll have that conversation. Watch me. We're like, so, Logan, let me talk about your roster destruction. I'm the most out-of-pocket individual. Let's do this. I'll ruin your podcast. I'll be like, Logan, I want to rate you a B. I'm taking the whole thing with me. Yeah. The Chicago Transit Authority hasn't seen this many hit-and-run cases since, well, they last listened to this show because I just keep throwing Ryan right under oh, the bus. Jesus. <laughs> so let's talk about Gastonia so we can talk about Gastonia and then talk about the two other stories and then get to the interview and then get done with this show because it's actually a long interview and I don't want to cut much from it so yeah Um, let's get to the good stuff there but we'll get through the news exactly and everyone loves talking about Gastonia they're fun you know Mm -hmm. dysfunctional kind of way either way they're going to be announcing their new team soon supposedly Mm -hmm. on I want to say Wednesday February 7th I believe yeah. That was the date, at least. Yeah, I Who saw knows this. what day that is? It's a Wednesday. I have a yeah, it's a Wednesday. Yeah, I believe it was at 2 o'clock. Uh, expect the Wednesday afternoon press conference. They're going to announce the new team. What's going to be going in there? The whole nine about it. Uh, pretty much exactly what you expect. I will say there is one wild card in this where apparently old ownership is trying to get back into the ballpark and claims they could generate $100,000 in revenue by November this year. I don't believe that for one second. This would also be non-baseball revenue, so they would not operate a team, at least it's from my understanding. It would just be from third-party type events. So I imagine that's a lot of like food festivals, trade shows, music events, that kind of thing. Uh, there's also some uh, controversy going on over the bankruptcy proceeding, changing from, I believe, it was Chapter 11 to Chapter 7. 
So that would affect the way things go. Uh, if you want to read more about it, that's linked in the show notes and you can get the full details for yourself. That's not entirely pertinent to the conversation, so we won't spend too much time into it. But long and short, it looks like we're going to get a new team, but there could be a little bit of a complication on that front. Yeah. Um, I'm going to have a transparent moment with you. I'm not even looking at that article because I saw a link to one I missed, which was about uh, a couple of people are owed. And actually some people I talked to back when I did the initial reporting on this. Um, huh. And boy, the quotes when they really, so that was at the time they, they were anonymous in my initial yeah. sourcing because they wanted to just keep clear in case they were to get the money. But now yeah. they're like, there are thousands over $10,000 between two uh, between like everybody involved, if I recall, but uh, the quotes are wild. Uh, a couple weeks in payments started coming in later than planned before you know it. Payments don't come in at all without haggling, emailing, knocking on the door, and eventually us not showing up until things got squared away. These are like the in ballpark like entertainment people too. Um, what was I the other them just, wanting, I really hope one of them grabbed a player's bat and showed up to the owner's suite and started tapping on the door with the bat. I'm surprised it didn't happen. Time after time, I had a bounce check. Time after time, I'd been told things would be done. They weren't done. They didn't have a finance department. They didn't have a human re- resources department. As we started to get bit by not getting paid or hardly... Uh, not getting paid or hardly ever, they became some sort some of the most manipulative and dishonest folks we've ever worked with. Dude, that's it. I'm glad it's starting yeah. to get really out in the open about it. Like obviously it's late and hopefully everyone gets, you know, made whole or at least something like that. But yeah. no one's really expecting that at this point. They're such a yeah. disaster. But it is good to see baseball in the move now in Gastonia, which was what we expected. We were hearing good things. We've been hearing good things from some people inside there. So just one thing at a time coming together, man. That's the hope. Yeah, hopefully it gets all sorted out there because it's still a good market. I still believe in it. It's just they didn't really have a fair start and a fair shake at it. Agreed. Being 10 yeah. people like they were. So now you can finally get a real sense of the market when you have proper ownership and leadership behind it. Do you have a sense of anyone that worked for the Honey Hunter side of things be willing to come back for this new adventure? Or is this just like, a let's wipe the slate clean. If we're going to do baseball, let's go to a different organization entirely, different city entirely rather. Mm, uh, this it's going to be a mixed bag. Some people okay. just couldn't wait, you know, with the with everything up in there. Um, I do know there seems to be a couple people hanging around. Um, person I've been talking to who might be on here sometime soon. We'll see what's up. Uh, um, the there will be at least a couple familiar faces uh, who have been encouraged by what new ownership seems to have in mind, and and they're starting to already be like, oh yeah, this is what legitimate ownership might look like. Okay. So that's that's a good sign for everybody involved, uh, fans, the city, everyone. So that's good. Yeah, so that's a positive then at least. So we'll see who stays, who goes, and hopefully we'll get more insight at a later date from a primary source, if you would. Yes, agreed. We'll see. Fingers crossed on that one. Yeah, so I'm going to be interested to see what the unveiling is. If we're just going to get an ownership group or we're going to get more on uh, Wednesday, that's really what I'm going to be curious about. Right. I imagine... I think we'll probably get a little bit more than just the bare bones of it. I think it'll be fairly in line with Lexington, maybe just a little bit more, maybe not necessarily a brand identity or anything along those lines, but I think we'll get a general formation of a plan. I would hope to see maybe someone on the field management side of things, maybe not a manager, but some people involved with baseball staff. I'd like that announced. I'd like to get a little bit from that. Or at the very least, I'd like a business plan, right? And more than just beyond that, we're not going to make the same mistakes that the last group did. I'd, I'd like a little bit of a concrete thing 
selfishly just so we'd have something to discuss, but also just so that way I could see it's on the right track. It's, you know, it doesn't even need to show that much just to show that you have an understanding of what was wrong here and what needs to be right this time. You don't even need a ton of specifics, just being like, we understand what happened here. We're going to make this right. We're going to work with the community. We're going to, you know, make sure local businesses are actually supported by this and not taken advantage of and that the fans get to see a a good product that they deserve as the people of the town. Dude, that's, that's all people want, man. It's a town that just wants to like, you know, the destiny has had some tough times. The people who are there are really passionate about like getting them back to better times. And just, this was a big hope for this. Some people doubted that the team ever could do that because it's such a big goal, but to have it immediately turn to this has been brutal. So just get some momentum going for that whole town is that's the goal here. Yeah. So at the risk of leaving something out, uh, do we think there's anything more to say on this as of right now? Because I don't want to talk around the circles here, but I also feel like we didn't really dedicate that much time to it. And it feels like there's more to it, but I don't really know what that would be. So. Uh, my main thing is I think by Wednesday, a lot of what we talk about is going to be irrelevant already. Okay. And I think we're going to be talking about it a lot next week is my okay. suspicion. So, okay, so any other, we might be having a guest after that. So okay. <laughs> we're, I think we might guest Estonia people out a little bit, but I think right now it's, it's going to be mostly conjecture, but I think we're going to get some facts pretty quick. Okay. So uh, any sort of prediction on it or do we just want to leave and move along? Um, I think experienced ownership group coming in, sort of handpicked by the city to an extent and the league. Um, I think, uh, will anything change on league side? Probably not. Uh, will there be, hopefully they can do a good brand that people like. And I, I think they need the same hope that Lexington does that. I think part of what Lexington could do is if they bring back the legend brand uh, and, you know, have Alan Stein, who's a popular former face there, at the forefront, you might get a lot of people who, you know, might have been out on Lexington, but almost like out of not spite, but like, you know, the legends come back, they'll be like to show like how much they sub- could have, like how much they didn't like the last thing. They might show support to the new thing, if that makes sense. Like, that, that like, kind of sounds no, like spite. We could be your people. Yeah. And I, I mean, like, know, didn't I, we I've say that's the exact situation with Oakland and the ballers? And you said, like, yeah, that's spite driven thing. Spidey. Yeah. But the, the avenue is, I think that might be the only thing that Lexington can do. I think Estonia has a little more wiggle room because the track record of failure there is shorter, frankly. <laughs> and uh, we've had now two owners in Lexington consecutively burn the community in a few different ways. So mm. let's, Lexington's probably on their last shot here. Yeah. Estonia has a little more play. They don't need to show big results right away. Just the bar is much lower for them to kind of start gaining momentum, if that makes Then Maybe that's a better way to, I don't know. That's a different thing, but that's where I'm at on it. Well, on that note, I guess we can move along to really the last piece of news for the week, and that is a couple of interesting hires from Windy City and from the New England Knockouts, which I still stand by Chowderheads, but mm, we shall see. I'm still waiting on a logo from New England, too. Would that be nice? But whatever there. Yeah, about that. So they both have hired uh, former Major League uh, coaches. In the case of Windy City, they definitely went with the more experienced guy and the more well-known, the brand name, if you would, in Larry Rothschild. Uh, long-time major league pitching coach. A little bit of a manager, too, with the Rays. Devil Rays, actually. But 
he'll be a pitching consultant for the T-Bolts. And then on the flip side, Chuck Hernandez will hold the same position, the pitching consultant, with the knockouts. Also a longtime pitching coach. Um, what that entails, at least from what I could find across various articles and the like, uh, both will spend approximately one week a month with the club, working with the pitchers and the pitching staff as a whole. They'll also be given access to video to review as well as player reports to review. So it really is just a consultant job and something to keep them in the game and whatnot. And this was all brought about by uh, Scott Profrock, who is doing a lot of executive work on both sides. We talked about him a while back when the knockouts hired him to run that, but obviously uh, knockout ownership and Thunderbolt ownership are one and the same. So mm-hmm. he's going to pull double duty on that. So it is a bit of a major league structure there up top. And that also explains the trade from earlier today were three uh, longtime Bolt players. I believe it was uh, Spillane, Robinson, and oh, who was the third that was dealt in that deal? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. Caught I'll, me off guard. I'll find the name and yeah. So that's the situation as it exists. Uh, any immediate thoughts on those hires? Because they're definitely bringing some brand names into mm-hmm. uh, the situation, but I don't. I don't really know if I have a strong thought on it. They're not everyday people in the dugout, so you know, like I want to have a stronger opinion on it than I do, but I just can't really find one to have. Yeah, I mean, I'm not overly buying the on-field impact. I'm sure it will be beneficial. It's a nice selling point. It's good for Bobby Jenks, who's still sort of newer in all this, to have mm-hmm. you know uh, somebody with shared MLB experience plus you know coaching experience on that kind of thing. I think it's a bigger deal for the knockouts in an, a market that is maybe less sure of indie ball currently. And, you know, it might have some doubts on the legitimacy front. So, you know, adding names, uh, familiar names, people with major experience is a good thing. I, I would say likely, you know, it's something, yeah. it's something else you can market out there. Uh, another MLB logo on a hat on a person, which yeah. is always helpful. Um, yeah. That's really all I've got. I don't have any, deep thoughts on it you know if it was the full-time staff member that'd be one thing but for now it's just like okay yeah hey you're you're, i see that you're working and that's also a good sign uh before i go too deep into that jake boone was the other guy it was jake boone dan robinson and brent spillane spillane gotta go i I echo what you said about larry rothschild gets back on point and yeah with both him and hernandez it's like great i like having him there it's definitely some good headlines and it's it's going to be an asset to those teams, and I suppose it makes it a little bit easier to recruit some pitchers into the situation, although I don't think that was going to be a problem with Windy City when you have Bobby Jenks as your manager there already. I'll be curious to see if it really has any tangible effect, but it does just kind of seem like, uh, I don't want to call it ceremonial because they are doing work. I mean, that's a given. Right. From April through the September, they're going to be putting in at least one week with the team and then doing other review work in addition to that. But it is very much a part-time kind of position. So, I mean, I don't know how much of an effect they can really have. Not to say it's none, but yeah, it's certainly limited. So, I'll be curious to see how it works out. But it just it feels more like for the headline than anything else. Yeah, agreed. All right. So, with that, we could just head right into the interview now, which is really the uh, the crown jewel of this episode. Mike Pinto was a fantastic interview. Uh, he has said some things that got my attention. What was I even jotted down? I was taking notes to say, you know, it was a good one. Probably um, the five indie ball points. Yeah, five indie ball points. That was great. We brought that up actually toward the end of the pod, but um, we actually talked about 
uh, that thing you said about the naive question of like how would yeah, we do things if we weren't already doing it the way we are felt like such a like Vec family trait that felt like oh yeah he belongs in the Vec organization that makes sense yeah. um uh, yeah and just what struck me was mostly the lack of complacency he mentioned a couple times you know none of the wins like he's the winningest manager in frontier league history but none of those wins are going to win a single game in the future so you know you got to show up as if you've never won any essentially and I, that, that was that struck me that stood out i there's a lot of managers you talk to where you know they are you feel like every one of their wins is individually listed on the resume as if it's yeah. going to affect what happens today um and no, it seems like he's really just sort of learned from those experiences of those wins, what does and doesn't seem to work, and just has continued to move forward. And it's been it was an enlightening conversation, man. I had a good time. Yeah, no, definitely. And I like the a lot of the cultural points and cultural talking points that he brought up there. And uh, it really, you start to get a real good sense for the guy and the type of manager he is and the kind of person he is. And then it starts all pieced together, like, okay, I see why his teams do well. The expectation is defined, but you also understand that you as a person are not defined by whether or not you meet the expectation as a ball player. So that was something that kind of took home to me. It was great to have uh, Mike on. So without further ado, let's get right into the interview before we go even further off the CTA rails, I guess you could say. Uh, any case, so without further ado, here is our interview with the new Joliet Slammers manager, Mike Kinkley. We continue our interview series with a legend of the Frontier League and a maniac on the drums, one of the true greats of the independent game. We welcome to the show, Mike Pinto. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks, guys. Yeah. We appreciate hey, the time to so, come on. You know, I told you off the off yeah. the podcast, but now yeah. we're recording. I'm going to say the same thing. Thanks to you guys for having this show going. I think it's great for independent baseball that there's any coverage at all that of of what goes on there's so many great players and great managers and all that and so i appreciate the fact you guys are covering it so an honor to be on thanks we, we really appreciate you taking the time to come on here and we appreciate the kind words and hopefully this won't be a, a show where we get graded too harshly because i know we went a little hard in the paint <laughs> last week uh, well well okay so yeah. you we talk about grading so so i was i was graded as a manager as a b minus last week yeah. uh, so you should know i have printed that out it's going to be framed with your logo in my office but the note underneath it and it's really true yeah what have you done for me lately uh, oh no oh, wow. <laughs> no we I did mean, say that i mean that, but that really is it because yeah you know, so when you grade me out and you say, oh, guys, okay, 13 winning seasons and all this stuff. And then yeah. you say, yeah, but he hasn't managed in two years. Yeah. So, it, yeah. so it's really a lesson of, you know what? None of those wins have anything to do with anything I will do this year. Yeah. So other than just ex having the experience of figuring a couple things out along the way. Oh, I'm glad that we could help motivate the, the <laughs> team this year. That's definitely... A pause, I think of probably the first time we've been mentioned in a locker room. I just hope Brian's logo uh, is going to be attached to this picture too, because he shouldn't escape any blame. Well, I can confirm we have been bulletin board material before, but this does feel like it's a little more positive. So I'm <laughs> I'm fairly happy about that. Yeah, that's true. I, I'll choose to make uh, it positive. I believe Gastonia once used my uh, 
my a comment I made about from their first season about things not yep. going well when they won the division the next year and I was in like the hype video for the playoffs. I was like, <laughs> no, <laughs> what have I done? <laughs> yeah. That's true. In fairness, too, I annoyed the the Houston Apollo traveling team the one year, but uh, that one I will stand by that one. That one I was correct. Fair on. enough. A little harsh, but I was ultimately right on this one. I don't think it's going to age swell. But uh, speaking of this year, you're obviously returning to the. Um, field manager side of things and now as a director of baseball operations here so i'm gonna immediately start by saying you were out of the game for two years so what was uh, so attractive about the joliet position that you decided that this was the time to return to the game well well a number of things so first of all i started my career in joliet um yeah. i was a coach for the joliet jackhammers back when it was in the northern league originally and um, under Matt Noakes, who I'm forever grateful for giving me that opportunity. Um, he gave me so many responsibilities, honestly, before I had earned them. Um, so, you know, a big shout out to, to Matty for that. And I was with him two years, then he did not continue. Uh, and uh, Jeff Isom took over. The organization wanted to have me come back. So I went back for another year and um i just i love the stadium i love the market i'm from chicago yeah. um you know in my last 10 years before i moved to texas um i you know i lived in plainfield which is all not that far from Joliet. i mean it's 10 12 minutes from the ballpark so that was the first thing um i love the ballpark and the people second of all mike veck is arguably one of the best operators in all professional sports um, I was very spoiled for 15 years. I was employed by John and Jane Simmons, who just are their family to me. I mean, I watched their their son, Luke, grow from seven years old to now a man with his own family now. So, you know, we grew up together. And uh, so I would only want to come back if it was for somebody who was a really good operator and Mike and Night Train and Heather and... Uh, Bill Murray is part of the ownership yeah. group. Um, I'm just, I'm real excited about what they have planned. Yeah, no, it definitely, when you have that kind of an ownership group and one that's made such an impact in the game like the Vex have, I could definitely see the appeal of it there. And so uh, I guess like the follow-up there to continue on the ownership train a little bit, the ownership night train, if you would, uh, <laughs> would be, what's uh What's been the relationship like so far? Obviously, this has kind of come together a little bit. We talked in the pre-show how it came together a little bit. And uh, I just guess, what's that uh, back and forth been like so far between them and yourself? Well, it's, it's really been very easy. And again, with my having experience in the case of Southern Illinois, I, I had the great opportunity to build an organization from the ground up. There was nothing. There was no stadium. That, I mean, there was no foundation dug at the time that that i was hired with the miners and eric Haig, who was the president then said um mike i don't have time to worry about baseball i'm hiring you to do that and i'm trying to build a stadium I'm trying to build a brand against sponsorships and advertising and all that and so i had the ability to just build what i saw envisioned as a baseball operation with really complete autonomy to do that and yeah. I think with what they're going through right now with new ownership, getting into the marketplace, they'd like to really not have to worry about baseball. And so I give yeah. them that opportunity to do that. Yeah, it's a lot of veteran operators going on there. And 
you know, I, I'm really excited to see what this combination can really do because there's a lot of experience there and a lot of really good baseball minds attached to it, both on and off the field, speaking wise. Uh, I'm going to let Ryan jump in in one second here. But first, I just got one other thing before I toss over to him for a little bit. You said that you lived in Plainfield, which is around Joliet for a very long time here. Is that familiar with the market? And obviously, you start in Joliet too. Is the familiarity with the market make it a little bit easier to jump into Joliet with the Slammers because you just have a little bit more familiarity there? Or is that not really as much of a factor? No, it's really not much of a factor. I'm, I'm thrilled. I mean, I get to see family. I'll, I'm going to murder the past list when my family, you know, comes from all over the sea. I come from a big Italian family. So, so I'm, I'm going to murder the past list. And, um, but, that that was certainly a big start, but that wouldn't have mattered if it wasn't the right operator. And you know, I had the pleasure when I was with Joliet to go to St. Paul, and we saw what insanity it was, and how the fans were crazy and the tremendous promotions that they did. And so I know that that will be a slower process. You can't just jump in a hundred percent with that, but I have complete confidence they're going to do a wonderful job yeah it's definitely looking forward to it i'll stop monopolizing the time and let ryan get in there because i'm sure he's got a bunch of questions and i'm sure he's going to want to beat me to a handful of them so uh ryan can take it from there uh why well, i thank you for you know taking my main question which i immediately gave you a look for that's okay well um, it is my show know, after all so I'm you know scrambling. i'm like where does this leave me <laughs> i really planned this interview that nick would just no show it uh, as he has actually never done now that I think about it. It is your show. Um, however, I, I, you did spare me a couple, so I appreciate that. Uh, the, the first thing that I, I really comes to my mind as someone who's more of a nerd for the baseball operations side is when I think of the Frontier League, I think of it's sort of a unique roster challenge. And of course, it's not one you're unfamiliar with. You have plenty of experience with it. But coming into this organization, uh, I know back in December, you were announced in January, but in December they had already extended, uh, I think like 11 contracts. So what is it like coming into a, a roster that is pre-existing, partially built and partially built by someone else? And now it's sort of you're inheriting some of that and then also having them figure out where you want to go when it comes to adding people in. So that feels like a tough balance and it feels like also a, a challenge to try to you know figure out what that chemistry looks like so how do you even sort of begin putting those pieces together as a new manager and a uh, not you know not new manager but a manager with a new team as it would be well uh, the first step for me was to call and talk to every single player that's mm-hmm. step one i need to talk to them talk to them about what was their experience in the frontier league last year what they think about their year what are they working on now what was important to them what's important to them from a manager's standpoint. Um, and if I were to look at them, question I ask is, if I were to look at you from the outside, what do you have to do to get better for 2024? And then be sure that we're together on the same page because as they will hear from me on the first day that we meet, I expect to win every single game I ever play. And everything we do is all designed to do that. And so, if guys aren't wired that way, better we know now and guys can go where they want to go. Um, but better better to know how I'm wired and me to know how them wired. Um, you know, I really do think that managing an independent league team requires to get the most out of guys, they have to trust you. Trust only comes from relationships. 
It only comes from them really believing that I give a hoot about them. And so that starts with day number one when a guy comes in here. I need to know who they are, what drives them, what motivates them, what what's going on in their personal life that could affect what we have going on. So that was really the first step. And then the second step was go to people who knew the team and get really good evaluations of, is this a Mike Pinnell guy or not? Um, and fortunately, Eric Minshaw was a, a consultant to them last year. And Eric was my pitching coach in 2021. He knows right. exactly the kind of players that fit my mold. And so he was really helpful. Uh, Matt Shepardson, who was there last year, um, I had done a podcast with Matt a few years back. And so had gotten to know him. He's been really helpful. And then I call players that I know in the league, guys that I have relationships with and say, hey, tell me what you saw. So that was really the first step for me. So once that step's completed, then how do you, you know, I think, again, you're probably one of the most experienced people we could talk to about building a Frontier League roster. What is, we're getting into the weeds again, and I promise, Nick, I will make this a normal conversation eventually. Uh, But what does that then look like? How do you start prioritizing? Or is it just, you know, who's available and almost getting the best guys into the room that you can? Uh, or is it, yeah. you know, you know, with the limitations you have, you have to prioritize certain things. How do you approach it? Well, with with only 11 guys, and it probably won't be that many before we're said and done, um, right. I have a, a lot of holes to fill. So <laughs> I'm taking every call from every agent, every scout I know, every guy in player development that's sending me a name. I have to look at every one of them. And I have my own, you know, I know you're more the stat and analytics guy. But I have my own kind of predictive models of what I believe brings success for my kind of teams, what I look for in starting pitchers and relievers. Um, I want to see video of them. I want to see what does the arm look like? Is this an arm? Okay, he may have really good numbers, but I look at that the way the arm works and go, okay, this is going to be an injury midseason. So I, I want to see, see all of that. Um, you know, same thing with hitters. I have a certain thing I look for. Every team has their own kind of base. But, you know, I guess at this point, managing, let's see, 14, 16 seasons, and then three years as a coach, you know, you kind of get your own ideas as to what that is. And then it changes from, I mean, I look at this. Ron Biga, um, who managed in Windy City for a number of years, is a really good friend. We were talking yesterday and he was telling someone about me and he said, Mike manages no particular way. He manages the team he has. There's years I've had speed guys. There's years I've had boppers. There's years I've had dominant pitching staffs. You manage what you have. There's There's no one way. It's this way based on this team. So that that's really how I would prefer, how I will prepare to do it. And that's it's just refreshing to hear. I've always talked about what made me fall in love with indie ball and drove me to listening to this podcast before suddenly being on it. Uh, is the the difference between minor league baseball, affiliated ball, and, and independent, where it's you know you look in your dugout and you say, "All right, this is the team we are to win the game today." Right. And I, I like that you are very open about that attitude as well and sort of, you know, you, 
you are the, I guess, the type of team you manage is the team that's trying to win today. And I think that's cool. Yeah. Um, the, and then I will pass back to Nick. I promise I won't hog the By ball. By the way, I'm going to add with the qualifier with a group of guys I like. If I'm going to take four months and leave home and manage a baseball team for four months, I'm going to be with guys I like. If you're a jerk, I don't care if you're a good player. I'm probably moving you out. Um, yeah, I want a great clubhouse. I want, I want, I want to be spend four months with a bunch of players and coaches I like being with. And that's a lot. That's a lost thing in some cases. It can be a summer camper. Can be a sentence. Either one. So, <laughs> it's a lot of time on a bus with people you don't like. I, I get yes, that for sure. Um, the thing that really stuck out to me when when we had been talking previously is just how much of a challenge it is to put up winning seasons managing professional baseball in three separate decades. And the thing that obviously smacks me in the face is just the game in 2005 compared to the game in 2021 is so different. And yet, you know, you've kept winning from, I mean, that ridiculous stretch of over 500 seasons. I mean, what have you noticed over the time that you've been managing pro ball? has okay. changed and what has really stayed the same and will just like be a truth of baseball no matter what. So I guess I, I would describe myself as a teeter-totter guy. So I am the teeter-totters on one side are some old school values about how the game should be played, what a team should look like, how they should prepare in order to win. And by the way, and that has changed dramatically over the years. And the other side is, looking at the analytics and how do you find every little edge um years ago when the book moneyball first came out everybody saw the movie i dissected the book and it was one line in there that probably affected me most and it has driven me ever since and it was called the naive question and the naive question goes like this if we weren't already doing it this way is this the way we would do it and so what I came up kind of with the way I work is a concept called what else thinking. What else could we be doing so that we are playing a different game, that we are playing chess on, on a given day when the opposition is playing checkers that day? How do we do that? What are the things out there? And so many things have changed over the course of how I did things at the beginning. And from from how I manage people then versus how I manage people now, um, I think probably as an early manager when I first started, I was probably a handful. Um, <laughs> I, I'm I'm appreciative of I still have great relationships with so many of those guys, but I probably was a handful in those days. And in time, you learn how to manage people think longer term. I got something from Tony LaRusso once because this was me. Um, he told the story of uh, he was with the Cardinals. John Mabry was his first baseman and a guy got a base hit to put the other team in the lead and Mabry's talking it up with him at first base. He said, we end up losing the ball game. We're on the way up the tunnel and I absolutely unloaded on him. And he said, it wasn't his fault. That's not why we lost the game. But he said, I don't know if my relationship with him was ever the same afterwards. 
And he said, so I adopted a 24-hour rule, and I do the same. Something happens during the game. I'm not going to talk to you about it today. Tomorrow, I can be constructive. I can be instructive. Tonight, I can only be destructive. And so you pick up things with experience, and you say, I'm going to do things better. I'm going to do things different. Um, So John Maley, who is a hitting coach with the Cubs, I've got a friend named Pete Caliendo, one of the great guys in in all baseball. Mm -hmm. And so Pete and John Maley are good friends, invites us down to Cub game, and we watch BP before the game on the field. So John comes over to talk to us afterwards. He says, guys, I'm so sorry. We didn't, you know, I, I got to you so late last night. He said, but we never take BP on the field. And I kind of looked at him. I said, never take BP on the field. He said, no. He said, Joe thinks it's one of the most overrated things we do in this game. He said, because the only reason why we take BP on the field is because we always have. They didn't have cages. He said, we have three cages underneath there. We have technology to be able to put up the picture for tonight's game, a video of him with his arm slot, with what his ball is going to do coming out of his hands. And he said, so Joe believes that the wear and tear on the, the body through the season beats guys up. And you've got to give them physical breaks. And here I am in Southern Illinois, where the temperatures can be at 100, um, where on my field, turf field, it could be 120 during batting practice. And I went, okay, I got to do something different. <laughs> So you learn things, you know, as, as time goes on, if you're open to it. That's a, uh, wow. Okay. That was, that was, I don't know. I appreciate that. I don't want to just sit and go, yeah, yeah, I agree. But I think Nick has heard me on and off the record before talking a lot about the, the balance of that stuff. But um, that's interesting. Uh, I'll kick it back to you, Nick, but I, I do want to follow up on the, you said early on through that whole thing. And uh, you mentioned that how, like the old school guys, how, how sort of working with them has changed. Would you elaborate on that at all? Uh, what do you mean old school guys? Uh, you mentioned how, you know, you have sort of the old school baseball mentality and, you know, it takes sort of that old school guys mentality, but also, you know, mixing it with the newer stuff, the analytics and, right. you know, things that have been learned along the way. And then you did mention that even that has changed, you know, the, the yes, older stuff has continued sure. to evolve. Um, all right. So, I think back to 2014, um, our team invested in, back then, it was called the Edge HQ program. It was part of the Inside Edge. And it was an advanced scouting program. And there was a guy named Chris Caldwell who was a part-time scout for the Phillies. And so we hired him to go around to games in, in the Chicago area. And so if Traverse City was coming to Southern Illinois, He'd go scout the series before, maybe two, because they would hit two at the same time. And I would get a six-game scouting report on everything Traverse City was doing. This is back in 2014. Um, So there were no analytics departments. There were no interns. So we were looking for then, looking for what what is the best way to win a ball game today? What information is out there that that nobody else might have? But when you talk about old school values, to me, that would be you get four bats a game. That's all, usually five five max, right? There's no reason why you can't run hard 
for 90 feet. There's none, none. Um, one of the reasons why I like having kind of my guys who've been with me a while in my clubhouse is they help manage that. Example being Nolan Early, who had been with me for a few years, just got hired as a hitting coach with the, the Padres. Congrats, Nolan. Um, no, um, we had made a trade midway through a season for a hitter. Guy hit a pop-up in the outfield and jogged first base, still had his bat in his hand when he got to first base. I never said a word. Nolan took care of it. Nolan took him down the corner of the dugout and said, we don't do that here. Just so you know, you know, he's not going to put up with it. We don't do that here. That's the last time I had to have that conversation with a guy. I, I never had it. Um, when, when you can start getting guys to buy into a standard of what you do, that what you do is different and special. And when you can have that standard of operation and that culture, that will help you win ballgames. I believe that. So that's kind of an old school approach. I know um, I am not one of the people to believe despite, you know, and you, you and I could argue about the analytics of this, but a strikeout is not the same to me as another out. It just isn't. Oh, you're, I'm with you there. I'll just, I'll interject that. People yeah. will argue about that. And I'm right. going, hold it. There's a man on third base and nobody out. You can't strike out. You can't. They put, their infield was back. They were giving you the run. And if you simply had a B swing in your arsenal, we would be up a run. Instead, you're walking back to the dugout, shaking your head because the umpire called you out on strike three. But pitch before that, you could hit a ground ball to second base and got the run in. So those are things. I think those are some old school things that I believe in. Balls in play, Nick. Never yeah. goes out of style, man. No, uh, it does is, not. That is one. Uh, that was music to me. This is going well for me. So this is good. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I'm going, I'll, I'll let Nick hop in. I'll sit here and I'll, I'll smile for a second because that is uh, refreshing to hear. And, and I braced myself when you said, we'll argue about this. I was like, all right, here it is. This is an extension <laughs> of the B minus conversation, but all right, so far. Yeah. You and I are definitely on the same page. Okay. Yeah, for Nick, a second, there, got, man? Yeah. For a second, you thought this was going to be like whenever you and I talk about batting average, right? I mean, I was—I thought you were going to say something when before the the show. I, I did mention Ariel Sandoval's batting average in Atlantic League. I was ready for you to jump on me and be like, "Oh, batting average now, Ryan." All right, so and I appreciate that you let me get away with that one. So thank you. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I'm still the big believer in batting average for what it's worth. Now, Ryan, is that, um, we won't have the okay. conversation now. We got so, I'm, so I'm going to give you another one to think about. Yep. We're talking about analytics and all that. Um, I'm talking to my guys, my analytics interns that we have coming in and i'll i'll argue we may have one of the best in the league by the time this year is out and mm -hmm. what i want them to do is come up with a model i think and i had a hitting coach named pat o'sullivan who is now um big league hitting coach with the san diego padres and he was with me back in 2015 and we used to talk about what we called 4d he started with 3D and I added the fourth D. So meaning you analyze players and their impact on you on four dimensions. One is their ability to preserve their out. I don't care how you get on base. Just did you preserve your out? Did you get on base? That's one. The second one is you have the ability to take an extra base. So guy gets a base hit. You go first to third. 
You're on second base, you score on it. Guy hits a double, you're on first base, you have the ability, the physical ability to score on a play. The third is, do you have the ability to make plus plays? Meaning routine plays, we expect guys are going to make routine plays, but you have the defensive ability to make a plus play that will turn a game around. Example, man on second and third, you're up a run, eighth inning, your third baseman, who's 0 for 4 on the day, ground ball down the third baseline, he dives, makes the play, throws the guy out at first base for the final out of the inning. Two runs would have scored, and a runner would have been in second base. You tell me that guy didn't help us win a ball game today? And then the fourth one is um, what a situational dimension, which means, for me, a guy that leads off an inning and gets on base. Hmm. That, the difference between that and a guy who does it with two outs. Guy leads off, we have a chance of impacting a big inning. The, the second part is a guy who simply does his job. So you ask a guy to bunt, he gets a bunt down. There's a man on third base, less than two outs, he gets the run in. Man on second base, puts the ball to the right side, moves the runner over. You put on a hit and run, and they execute the hit and run. They do situational things well. Um, you give me a player that has those four dimensions, I'll win a lot of baseball games. So what I'd like to do is figure out what is the formula to tell me night by night who's our 4D player. So I, that's one of the projects we we're putting on our guys this year, and uh, we'll see uh, we'll see if they have fun with it. Yeah, that's interesting because it does have me thinking. It's like win probability, but not added by a player, but not quite. I know it's and the avoiding, I don't know, the valuing of outs is always interesting too because yeah, I've been reading some articles lately, which and also been re watching some cricket, which I still don't fully understand. It's fine, um, but the generalization I'm getting is that they really value outs because their outs are like it's almost seems far more consequential in cricket. It's like if you get out a certain way, the day is done for you essentially. And I, I think it's interesting to think if we valued outs like that in baseball, how we would handle some things. And and that's sort of the line of research I've been going down lately. But yeah, it's the guys who, you know, they're not giving up the out easily and they're not going to, and they're going to do all they can to get the extra out on defense. So, okay. Wow. That was a weird. And now you got my head running on what you could do to do that too. So oh, maybe I'll bother one of your interns. That's not a, a podcast <laughs> conversation, Nick. I'll spare you that one. So, so when you guys were um, evaluating the, the, the Juliet hire and I know one of you guys <laughs> said, yeah, but is this kind of just the old school guy? It's been doing it a long time. So I'll just ask you, does that seem like it was old school fine? Thinking? No, it doesn't. And and it, I'm glad that we have had this conversation now because I, I have talked to old school managers, which, and actually those are some of my favorite conversations out there. So if you're an old school manager, call me, but not to yell at me because I'll probably love to chat with you and I'll buy a beer. But uh, there have been a few where I'm like, I understand why this could be a little tiring over a long season of this, this sort of line of thinking. So yeah, that's it. I, I see. And I, I'm not going to. I'm not going to say I'm wrong. I'm just going to say, you know, you, it seems like a, a good mix, a proper mix of old school <laughs> Nick's, Nick's experience right. and logic. I, I was immediately calling him out. I was throwing. Don't you look at him. Don't you look at Nick. 
<laughs> and in fairness, when he made that comment, I was like, maybe that's not the right way to put it. It wasn't. No, and I knew it too. But I don't know what else to say. What uh, old school adjacent? That's dumb. I already sound dumb. Actually, like that. Like I said in the pre-show, the problem with you speaking is the audio problem for you. I have been asked if I want to be on a couple like broadcasts before, and I'd be like, "Hey, you listen to the show? I don't know." <laughs> usually, go, "Yeah, maybe next year." I'm like, "All right, oh, cool, good go. call." That's, that's right. Why well, had somebody send me the the link to the podcast and said, <laughs> "You are going to laugh when you hear this thing." They're calling you old school, and the guy's comment was, "They don't know you at all." <laughs> it, Nick, I think Nick would be quick to point out it wasn't a they. That feels like a Ryan problem. Exactly. As I say, uh, this is not the Marines. I'll leave him behind. But <laughs> oh, great, great call, dude. Don't yeah. don't hold that against you. <laughs> exactly. Man great, himself here. Great self-preservation instincts from that. Hey, look, you'll run the numbers and you'll decide if it's still worth it. That's what you analytics folk <laughs> do. But, but I'll circle back to earlier when you're talking about the culture and you know, how winning is priority. I thought I was listening to the San Antonio Transit because it was music to my ears. <laughs> and so it brought me back to one of the articles I read doing all my prep work and all my research for the interview. And essentially it said that across all your stops managing, you're only about 42 wins away from 1,000 as a manager. So I'm just kind of curious, what, if anything, does that 1,000 win mark really mean to wow, you? Wow. I, actually, I didn't know that. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I got to check with my old radio guy, Jason Garrett. Who, oh, yeah, I know Jason. I got to tell you, yeah. Jason, I will give him all the credit in the world, probably does the best set of game notes I've ever seen. And every year he would create for me a frontier, I'm sorry, a miners all-time record book. And his, oh. he was so fastidious with wanting yeah. this to be perfect. Um, it, and we now have a record of everything that happened during our 14 years. Every player, what uniform, down to the records, who had the most doubles, triples, everybody's been signed. He did just oh. a phenomenal job. So um, <laughs> I often check with him and he'll tell me where I am, where I'm at. Yeah. Yeah, I believe if I'm right, it was like nine fifty eight, I believe, and that included the uh, the college stops as well. Okay. Yeah. So, my yeah, grandson no. will think that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, what's about. Yeah, <laughs> that is what it's about. And uh, yeah, it's just I saw that thousand win mark, and I was like, that is that's a huge milestone for a lot of managers. A lot of guys don't get to that number. So, it, yeah, it, that that would be very cool. I've, um, but in all fairness. I didn't throw one single pitch in any of those, yeah. and I never swung the bat in any of those. Um, if anything, I probably have the skill to pick good players, yeah. and I probably have the skill to create a culture where guys like to play there and excel. So yeah. be, beyond that, um, they won those ball games, and I've long thought that, as a manager, if I got a good enough team, I really couldn't screw it up. <laughs> They'd score enough runs or shut down the opposing team where I didn't have to make many decisions. Yeah, I know that's half the that's half the battle though, is yes, making sure you is. put the right pieces on the board in the right spot to succeed. So yep. as long as you do that, you give yourself a chance to win or you give the team a chance to win. 
as part of it. And uh, the other thing that I came across in the research, and this is just kind of a fun note, is I noticed uh, in the last year with uh, the miners, uh, the Simmons had rented out Wrigley Field for one night in November. And right. so I was just wondering what that was like, that experience of being in Wrigley Field, having a lot of these former players of yours there and having a lot of people that you spent you know, a good amount of time with and what that overall experience was like. Well, if anything, for people who wondered, so when the miners were not going to continue anymore, and, you know, to set the record straight, because a lot of people don't really know what all happened. Um, John, John and Jane Simmons own um, the miners, but they also own the stadium that they built and invested their own personal money in. John is a very successful trial attorney. And over time, he has taken over more and more of the law firm. And they're one of the biggest in the country in what they do. Um, but they also had a steel mill, a record company, company made basketball training equipment, a barbecue sauce company, car dealerships, newspaper, radio stations, among other things I know I don't know. And all of those are run by John and Jane's family office. Yeah. And John had come to me in 2018 and said, we're selling everything. Yeah. He said, you're going to be the last to go. Um, but yeah. I want to give you a heads up. So it's not a surprise. I'd like to put an exit plan together as to how we could do that. And so we had many, many conversations. He has a mergers and acquisitions guy in their company that was taking care of selling some of the things. The steel mill was the biggest of all to go. Yeah. And um, then it came down to the baseball team where John and Jane just, they, they couldn't come to games anymore. I mean, yeah. I was seeing them one or two games a year, whereas when we first started and their kids were little, they had one of those like rock star buses, that touring buses that they would come back yeah. and forth in. Yeah. And so I understood that they were at a point where they wanted to retire. They're, now they yes. have five grandkids and so they earned that right. Um, yeah. But John wanted to do it right. And yeah. so he said, let's, let's have a big party and celebrate. So he rented Ridley field <laughs> and <laughs> crazy. We invited people back and I want to say we had 150 to 200 people came and you're talking about guys who were with us that reached the big leagues guys that played with us a season. Um, guys from the 07 and 08 teams up to guys that were in the latter years. Um, it was emotional for all of us. And um, it was an incredible celebration. We had a big video put together for it and um, photos everywhere. And it was, it was a special night. And But I'm not surprised. That's the way John and Jane Simmons would do things. Yeah, and I, when I read that, I was like, wow, that must have just been an experience to really see 15 years of work and labor and everything that goes into a ball club to finally see like, okay, this was the not even the full impact, but just a portion of the impact we had on some of the people closest to the organization that even some people 10 plus years removed, they still appreciate what we did for them. I imagine that impact and the feeling you get from fully seeing it really really hits home in a way that is hard to describe so when i saw it i was like i well, i have to ask about it so the, there's an author that's writing a book on it 
and writing a book on what the miners way was and the impact on the people um, that have gone on to all walks of life, some enormously successful in, in what they did. And, but the connection that they all have was at one time or another, they played or worked in Marion, Illinois, uh-huh. a, a little town of 17,000 people. So it was, uh, it was a very special experience for all of us. And I'm grateful. Uh, it's probably a good thing. I, I didn't manage the next year because I don't know that anybody would have been able to get my heart and soul because mm-hmm. I was still honestly recovering from, you know, not only that we weren't going to continue, we had tried to find a new owner. And, um, as John said, Mike, we built too big a stadium in way too small market with not much of a business bake base and not much of a income base. And John was very fine with writing what was a big check every year to keep this thing going. And, but the, the people they sold it to, um, did not want professional baseball in the stadium. They had other things they were going to do with it. And that yeah. meant that the end of the minors, but honestly, I, I don't know if I would have wanted anybody else to carry on with that because what we had as a group was very special. Yeah. It's hard to know how it can be done and then to not be, see it be done that way. It, it hurts more almost because you know the potential that it can be and to see it not reaching it. It's, I imagine I can't even really because I didn't have nearly any skin in the game like you had. So I, I definitely can understand that from that. Perspective. I mean, in our relationships, I mean, give me an idea. I mean, this wasn't just players and, yeah. and coaches. Um, it was a bat boy who is flying uh, F-15s for the Air Force. Um, it's, you know, our people that worked in our concessions and parking lot. We used to do a team photo every year, and it wasn't a team photo of just the baseball team. It was a team photo of everybody who wanted to be in it that worked yeah. with us. Yeah. That was the Miners family. And that's – here's what the difference, I think, of what we did was I think a lot of independent league teams treat their team as though it's a – I shouldn't say a lot. There are some that treat it like it is a one-off, meaning the players don't matter. They come and go. They're here a month, two months, and off they go. To the player, there's no connection with the team other than really, you know, okay, I played there for a month. I wore that uniform. I never wanted that. I wanted this to be a legacy team. And so we had a, a, a hashtag I've used. You guys may have seen it my stuff. Hashtag always a minor and hashtag minors family. And so all of us that were part of that will use that. Yeah. It, it feels like this minor family is larger than a lot of very large Italian families, which I'm sure we're both <laughs> accustomed to. Uh, kind of me being of Sicilian descent. So when you said that earlier, I was like, oh, I know exactly what he's talking well, about. All right. So you'll appreciate this then being yep. Sicilian. Yep. One of the things I did every year was we had what was called Italian Appreciation Night. Yeah. And I, as they came into the clubhouse, there yeah. were photos of great Italians in baseball all over. I had. Sinatra, Dean Martin, um, playing on the on the sound system. Yeah. On one TV, we had The Godfather, and another <laughs> one we had uh, Goodfellas. All right, the guys would get cards in their dugout that uh, or in their locker that would give them Italian phrases. Like, and you had to find a way to use one during the game today. 
And then what I did was I spent three days before that. That's phenomenal. Them. And so my last time I did 164 hand-rolled, hand-fried meatballs. Um, Tom Carcione, my hitting coach in 21, came over to the house on an off day. And yeah. we fried them all up and uh, had, had oh a great God. time. So yeah. that's that's my traditional Italian family dinner. Oh my god! I was gonna ask about that too because I always see you posting pictures online about it. So I was like, I gotta know what are what are like the top three staples for that because, like for me, I know the ones that are always there whenever there's a large family gathering. I know there's gonna be certain staples. So I was gonna ask like, what are like the three that are always there? Well, I see. I've done, I mean I've done a bunch over the years. I've yeah. done manicotti. I've oh, done okay. reg uh, sausage and meatballs. Okay. Um, I've, done right. I've done brajol. So, you know, and then of course, you know, with the, with the red sauce and, you know, my family called it gravy. Some call it sauce. It's gravy. Um, it's gotta be. See, yeah. see, I think so too, but I'm not, yeah. you know, it's whatever we grew up with. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I had the great pleasure of learning from my grandmother directly and yeah. I videotaped her teaching me our rest, our family recipes. So, Imagine my grandkids today can look at a video of their great great grandmother, great yeah. great great grandmother cooking the recipes of their family. Yeah, that is such a gift to have because I know my dad always tells me about like all the stories because they just bought the land at the end of the line for the train and they worked all the land, they made their own wine, had pretty much the whole property filled with different produce, had some animals yeah. around too. So, you know, you hear all of it growing up and you're like, wow. And then you go back over to the property and you see like, yeah, no, I could see exactly how this was all done and whatnot. And so I used to go with my grandfather to the railroad yards to yeah. pick out the grapes that were going to go in the wine. Oh, wow. So yeah. I, I learned how you pick those out and what was good. Yeah. And I learned the lesson based on the fact that I ate way too many grapes that day. And, <laughs> It was not a good night, um, so, but I learned that lesson the hard way as a kid. Yeah. Oh. So that's more the atmosphere that I really like to have around my teams. And, yeah. you know, it is a business. There's a business oh, yeah. and there are tough decisions that have to be made. And um, but when it gets to a point when a player is simply a name and number to me, I won't yeah. do this anymore. Yeah, that's, that's the sign. Like It's like I always say about whenever we have interviews and whatnot and we ever have a big show. If I don't have that feeling in my stomach like, okay, it's it's time to go, I'm like, okay, this means either I don't care anymore, which is a major problem, or I have way too much confidence going into this. So I, I totally get that. And the whole atmosphere and culture around it, I, I really respect it. And I can see why you've had the success you had. I know when we were planning, I said we were only going to take about 90 minutes of your time. We were down to about 15 left. Okay. So, you know what, guys? I, I'm good on time. So whatever you okay. need. Okay? Oh, perfect. That's enough. So right. that I, I guess I I my, this could go a while. Yeah. So, um, I said, uh, I said they're gonna grill me on some stuff, so I got to be prepared. Oh my God! See, the worst thing you can say is I'm good on time because one thing, and Ryan will vouch for this: is we are terrible at time management. <laughs> I mean, how we spent what six hours recording for a three-hour show last week? So, well, yeah, the worst thing I can tell you before a show is that Jackie's already asleep for the night, and you're like, oh, cool, so you're free till <laughs> six a.m. I'm like, all right, well, easy there. 
Hey, you're the one that was texting me at five o'clock in the morning before I released the show last week. So that is because I don't understand the value of a sleep schedule, but we'll deal with that later. Um, yeah. yeah. So I, Ryan, you, you know, take it so that way. I'm not. Oh, I was just going to say yeah. it is good to hear that your Italian heritage nights were going well. Uh, if you would like to know what was going on elsewhere, uh, famously, as the community affairs person in Wilmington, as like a 21 year old, I was given the charge of Italian Heritage Night because we wanted to do them better or something. And they gave them to me, foolish. And I, I believe I did some great setup where I split the ballpark into all the different areas of Italy and there were fun facts and everyone had their own batter. And if that area of the stadium, which was like, you know, connected to an area of Italy, which was connected to a batter, scored a run. Everyone in that area got free tickets to a game, which this was like a historically bad Blue Rocks offense. So I was like worried they wouldn't score. And I think they scored eight runs in the first inning. (laughs) And I, that was the first meeting that I had on my own with our sales department about (laughs) decision-making and not saying every idea that comes to my mind. Will I apologize? No, because free tickets are a good thing. Was that probably a misstep? Yes. So maybe next time more meatballs, less free tickets with no real idea of how many could be involved. So that is (laughs) a valuable contribution from you. And I thank you for that insight. Um, I would be curious how many of them actually got used and versus really good publicity of having people having won something and walk out of the ballpark feeling like I want to come back here again because that's that's the goal. It's the first mm-hmm. inning, and you already won yourself a free game next time around. So I don't know. I, I should have asked about how many of those were redeemed, but I, if I'm honest, I was a little bit scared to ask the follow-up questions. A younger version of myself. Nowadays, I would have just been like, so how'd that go? But yeah, yeah. live and learn. <laughs> uh, looking at, at some of the other things that we haven't quite gotten to cover yet, but um, the one thing that really sort of gets me is the Frontier League sort of being unique within independent ball because – you know, I, I came up covering the Atlantic League at first, and the Atlantic League was like, hey, as long as you're under the monthly budget, sign whoever. Uh, the way that the Frontier League puts roster restrictions in place, it really does force a, an interesting mix of players where you do have your veterans, you do have your guys with um, you know, tons of experience, but you also have a lot of young guys that are coming up. Is that something that you find you like about the Frontier League? Because, you know, they you have guys who can kind of be mentors toward the younger guys and uh, it's not, you know, like the college summer leagues where everyone's just a college kid and you're just doing the year. This is sort of a, a real thing, but also there are, there's the component of you're developing some of these younger players, which, you know, maybe doesn't exist as much in different uh, baseball atmospheres, you know, depending on the league you're in. Um, first of all, I love the frontier league. I love the way the dynamic of the roster building and construction, all that goes. Um, I didn't like in the last few years the league had become older and older. And mm-hmm. the reason why I don't like it is you guys probably got the sense of I believe in legacy. And so the minute we changed the rules and no long no longer anybody could play no matter what age they were in, what that did was it changed the records. And the records should matter. So in the early years you can only play till 27 years old and but now you've got guys 36 38 that are playing in the league and somebody could stay in this league for a very long time and demolish records right 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't like that the league became older. Um, I get, I understand why it happened, but it was not something I was, I was really in favor of what I was in favor of. And I was on the rules committee at the time we did this was to allow every team to have one player over 27 years old, because what that would allow you to do was we were, we were kind of like the, the farm system for the American association. We would have these players. They'd be with us two years or three years, whatever it might be. We train them. We get them up to speed where they're at their best. And they would turn 27 and American association would swoop down and take the best players. We get nothing back for that. And I said, if you can keep one, what you can do then is renew the option on all of them and trade them off and get younger players back to subsidize your system. But um, you know what? Just tell me what the rules are. I'll build a roster based on that. (laughs) Um, For me, the biggest issue is I really think that when you're building a roster, and this is why I think spring training is so important how you run it, is that I think you have inherent fault lines are built within a clubhouse. So in other words, let's say on one side, you got pitchers. On the other side, you got position players. Within pitchers, you've got starters. You've got relievers. You got starters on the offensive side. You have bench players. You have guys that are uh, returning from from that city and versus new guys. You've got veterans. You've got rookies who've never played. You've got whites, blacks, Latins, Asian players. You've got your coaching staff versus players. You have all these inherent fault lines built into a clubhouse. The quicker as a manager you can blur the lines, the quicker you can have a team that can build and go do something as a unit, playing for each other. When there's an intimidation factor of this guy was in AAA and yet I didn't get drafted, now, that's an inherent fault line. I've got to blend those together as quickly as I can. And, you know, that's why I've done some of the crazy stuff I, I have over the years. I mean, I, pro- I brought guys four and a half miles together into an underground coal mine. I wanted them to know what their name stood stood for. Um, <laughs> we, we did Miner's Idol, which was a karaoke contest. And uh, they, w- they would work together to win prizes. I would go to sponsors and get prizes for them. Um, I've done cooking classes. I've rented a wiffle ball field and played a wiffle ball world series. Um, pitchers get the hit hitters, get the pitch. Um, let's see. Uh, I brought in a magic show. Um, I I brought an illusion in the middle of a losing streak. Um, because we had, we had to break the karma of what was going on. So I, you know, we bowl every single year. That's the first thing we do because I, I want these guys to start coming together as a team. And the, I mean, I don't know what stuck out to you and all that, Nick, yeah. but for me, it was how infrequently with karaoke, the people who are blessed with enthusiasm for karaoke, it, it very infrequently overlaps with people who have a talent for karaoke. And I think that's the best part about it. Yeah. And really, really accelerates the team building aspect of that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah I saw uh, the PTSD from your experience just coming over your eyes there. Right? Oh, boy. Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. I see that. Um, Which I just, can I just say, I'm really looking forward to reading your book, Mike. When you may sit down and write a book, I want to mm-hmm. read that book. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Um, now, that sort of 
jog my memory on some things because I've had a uh, frontier league managers have been great to me. Just, uh, I, you know, I initially covered Atlantic league and then I sort of jumped in drinking from a fire hose, trying to get as much frontier American pioneer league stuff as possible. I went from covering just the Atlantic to all the indie leagues and it, this managers have been great and they've shared a lot with me. Uh, and I, I've asked about you know, how you go about with those rosters, putting those together. So more on like a, a philosophical level, I've seen a lot of variation. Like I've seen guys who, you know, I'm like, so how do you go about playing that? And they're like, well, here's the spreadsheet. And they show me like, they know exactly how many years they got with everybody coming up. And they think years ahead on, you know, how can I navigate? Uh, when can I make sure I get something for this guy before he ages out or what have you? And I've seen guys who are just like, hey, man, uh, I'm trying to win tomorrow. And we will figure that out later when it comes to the roster restriction for next year. Right. Uh, now, and I've seen it, it both be, yeah, and I've seen both be successful. So uh, where do you find yourself typically within that? Or is it more to the hey, day-to-day and we'll worry about the long-term later? Or are you thinking long-term? Or are you somewhere in the middle there? Well, all right. So my last contract with the minors was seven years. So, huh. um, so I got – I. Damn. You know, I started with a two, then I think two and a three, and then a seven, something like that. And when you have that kind of um, comfort in your job, I wasn't going to lose my job if I didn't win a championship that year. Um, if some of my guys get picked up and I end up get coming short of the playoffs, I'm not going to lose my job. What? But it, and it allows you to do two things. One, I get to manage today. To win today, um, but I, here's here's why I think you have to manage today versus the future. How many times you have this guy? You think, hey, this guy, wonderful player, and has an incredible year, and but next year he gets married, no. and during the off season, he doesn't have the time to work out, and he comes back and he's not the same guy. How many players really play? to the third year how many do that the percentage is very very small so what i tend to do is you know what i get my guys today i might renew my options and bring guys back the second year the third year if they're really a guy for me my third year i'll pay them then because um then that's then that is truly my guy in the clubhouse and that also resets their contract extension time frame, right? If I recall, yeah, the you know, I, I am I am very lucky. I did not have anybody ever in Southern Illinois play out their option or me renew their option, and they chose to leave to go to someplace else. Interesting. So I never one time ever lost a player, so that was never a fear. Um, I, I took it yeah. on base that fact of how they were treated what their experience was playing there that they wouldn't ever want to go anywhere else. With that many years, man, that should get a plaque for that. Alone. <laughs> I'm just thinking about trying to navigate those conversations from the baseball operations perspective, like well, even yeah, things that are out of your hands. I mean, to make the most of what is in your hands is pretty impressive. I'll, gi- I'll give you the plaque 45 <laughs> minutes after it was announced that, that I was going to be in Joliet. I get a call from a guy named Mike Scanzano. Mike was a shortstop for me in 2007, 2008. And the phone call went like this. Mikey, I just called my wife and told her middle of June, 
we're going to New York. He lives in Philadelphia. <laughs> and she said, Mike, what are we going to New York for? He said, Mike's going to be here. He's got to meet the kids. That's that's oh, yeah. that's it. That's that's the plot. Hey, that's that's what uh, well-timed Italian meals and understanding that's a little bit more than just what's happening on the field will do for you, man. That's, that's yeah. that is un, unsurprising to hear after you know the last hour of conversation we've had. That all mm -hmm. sort of makes a lot of sense to me at this point. Nick, do you have everybody anything, has their own style, and you know, and everybody wins w with it. I mean, they're. I mean, I feel really fortunate. I mean, frontier league jobs are not easy to come by. They're not. Yeah. And, um, you know, and for the really best franchises that there's even, that's a smaller number. And so the, the fact that I would be one of those 16, you know, I, I, there's a lot of great managers. I respect them all. Some I like more than others. They, <laughs> they would say the same, but, um, but a lot of guys have put a lot of time into, to do this well. Yeah. And I, Honestly, I don't have too much left to ask to wrap up on Ryan's question to me there. All I'm going to say, I, well, I've, I kind of want to ask about the San Antonio Trance because that is just a great name for a band. I, that is a I, fantastic I, name. It is. Lord. So Thanks. I, I want to ask a bit about that. But Good. I also have one because obviously you Frontier League for a long time. So you have a lot of overlap with one of the guests that we had on this show a while, a while back but was still to this day one of my favorite guests that have come on talk to which is bill lee so i want to know if there's any really good bill lee story that you have because i really like bill he's a really nice guy and very bill is really really yeah. dedicated to the frontier league for a long time i mean yeah. he was the face of this league yeah. you know for, for for a very long time he's uh he's a great golfer by the way yeah. loves to golf um and um you know, I one of my favorite pictures in my office is of him putting his arm around me and congratulating me as um, we won the championship in 2012. So, mm -hmm. a great memory of uh, great memory of all that. Yeah, definitely. San Antonio Transit is a the, the name yeah. comes from the fact of the band Chicago. Yeah, originally was called Chicago Transit Authority. They had to change their name because the CTA sued them over the usage of the name. Uh, so they became just simply Chicago. And so when I came down here and I played the drums for a long time, a couple of the guys in the band Chicago are friends of mine. Okay. Um, uh, in fact, you know, kind of a fun story uh, during COVID um yeah. they weren't touring and we had no games yeah. and so we had a group of us that were kind of like taking photos or videos of our hooking every night and this yeah. was going on and one of the guys in the group that was with us was lauren gold who is the keyboardist for the who oh. and um so they're crazy baseball fans lauren loves the giants i mean like He's insane about it. And Ray Eastless from Chicago loves um, the Dodgers. The trash talk is terrible. And so I finally said, you know what? You guys think you're such great baseball players. We'll see. So I invited them to come to spring training with the minors. And they did two days as professional baseball players. 
and they did all the drills with everybody um and i just had to make sure they weren't going to get hurt um (laughs) they had a blast we we created a video for them you know as a as a memorial of this um when chicago went back on tour ray east last wore a minor shirt on stage during their show um so appreciate the love from uh from ramon but um Mm -hmm. So yeah, I wanted to start the Chicago tribute band, and so held four months of auditions to find the right guys who would one be good enough to play it, have the skills to play it, two would would learn the music well and be committed to doing it. And so started that process, and it's going crazy good for us right now. And um, we've had some really big shows. We had a couple with. Uh, 4,000 people last year. Wow. All of our ticketed shows this year have all been, I mean, from June till now have all been sellouts. So uh, we've had really good response from people. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, the the one bummer, uh, yeah, a couple yeah. bummers of, of yeah. leaving for the summer is uh, I've got to find a sub replacement to cover for me during yeah. the summer while I'm gone. That that is the bummer there. See, what I see is an opportunity to have a post game concert here. That's where my back goes to. <laughs> that was where my head went to. I don't know. Yeah, uh, but um, uh, I think that just about does on the question. And for me, Ryan, if you have anything else, then I guess I, I do have one more. And and this is off of something that we discussed before the show, and it, it's it's been staying in my head since we talked about. It. So I'll ask it on the record on the show. Okay. Um, you. You mentioned the five stages of independent baseball, and it hit me how it it seems like it felt like interesting and sort of relevant information for not only players and managers and front office personnel, but also fans of independent baseball or people even looking to understand more about independent baseball. And uh, would, would you mind sort of talking that through again? And no, sure. A little bit too of like with that in mind what does that mean for you know you as a manager and baseball operations person but also uh, you know for a player if they're aware of these five stages what is the takeaway from from their end and what they should keep in mind um i talk to players when they come in that i believe there's five stages of the independent ball player and the first one is i can't believe i'm going to independent ball this was not where they saw their career going and either it was a guy who got released, who was on the way up and got squeezed out and goes, oh, going independent ball. Um, or the guy who thought he was going to get drafted, was promised he was going to get drafted, knew he was going to go in the fourth round, and then his name never got called. Um, he's on his way to independent ball going, what am I doing this for? The second stage is for many of us who are in really good ballparks and treat players well they get there in their first couple days are wow if i get to be an independent ball this is pretty good i this is better than i expected the third stage is uh uh-oh these guys are better than i thought they were because everybody who's coming from affiliated ball has no idea how talented independent ball players are and very quickly figure out that that guy out there on the mound is trying to get them out and they are just like them they got squeezed out just like somebody else. The number of times you hear during spring training where a guy goes, why is that guy even here? You hear that a lot. So the talent is very good. 
the fourth stages. That's when the guy comes in and goes, Mike, I'm doing really well. Is anybody calling about me? And that's when I worry about the most because it means they're not present. Um, I like stage five players. The stage five player stops worrying about the things that are out of their control. Uh, they come to the ballpark every day with three things in mind. One, I got to get better today. What am I going to do today to get better? The second is I want to have fun doing this again. There are a lot of guys come out of affiliated ball and go, that was not fun. Independent ball is fun. And the third thing was that they come to the ballpark looking to win because that's how this game was built. Um, I will tell you my feeling, the best part about independent baseball is for me, I don't care what round you were taking in. I don't care what kind of signing bonus you you got. I've had guys, first rounders. I've had guys with a million and a half, $2 million signing bonuses. I don't care. I don't care what round you were in. The best players play. There's no politics. So the best players play, and we play to win every night. That's what independent ball is all about. Mike Pinto. Yeah. <laughs> I got me gassed up. I'm hyped yeah. about it. I'm like, yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> I was like, put that on a shirt. I'm about it. <laughs> Thank oh, you for going back through that, man. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, hopefully, like Independent Ball, doing the Independent Ball podcast was fun and inspired. It was a blast. I, I knew it would be. I, you know, I, I heard what you guys did. You know, I, I, I scouted out the one where you evaluated the hiring of, uh, of me at uh, a Joliet. Uh -huh. And uh, then the one where I got the B minus as a manager last week. Um, so I thought that would give me some, you know, some bulletin board for my own office um, and remind me you're never nearly as good as you hope you are on a given day. And um, and somebody will tell you that. Um, and you're only as good as is what you're doing right now. The, uh -huh. None of those wins, you know, if, if you say I'm 40 some away, none of yeah. those are going to help me win. So only thing that's going to help me win is do I prepare today? Do I do my homework? Do I my research? Do I give a damn about the players? And do they buy into a, a culture and philosophy and not want to be a part of just a one-off? I, I want them to want to be a part of a legacy team. Yeah, definitely. And I hope to see a picture of our Bolton board material in uh, September when you guys are hopefully – playing for a championship or winning a championship because uh, I'd like to be able to think that maybe we had a part in it, but in reality, I know we'd be a small part of it. So uh, I don't before, think we're getting a ring, Nick. I got to be honest. I, I don't think we're getting a ring in that situation. I, I wasn't expecting it, but maybe we'll get a ring on the phone saying, am I still uh, a B minus? And if that's going to be, be like, ah, no, you earned yeah. a B now, but man, but uh, yeah, I, as we well, do, maybe before, I'll, maybe I'll have a, a decent year and I'll have some good players and I'll get notched up. Maybe I'll get notched up a little bit. <laughs> well, how about this? When you come through uh, Pomona, New York in June, we'll meet you there oh. and we'll, t we'll evaluate it. Uh, all right. All right. Yeah. Sounds go. good. We'll, we'll go get coffee or lunch or something like that. It sounds great. Before okay, we I'll let bring you go, my grade you, book, man. <laughs> Before we let you go, if there's anything you want to promote, say, go back to a previous conversation, anything we didn't get to, anything like that, uh, feel free now to go into it. Yeah, um, no, no. I, I mean, I think we covered a lot. And um, I just love independent ball. 
I love the people that are in it, the players that have the heart and passion of it. And um, I just, I've got a lot of work to do to build a, build a rosters. <laughs> I mean, we're February 2nd. And um, so I've got a lot of work to do. I think the game's going to be a little different this year. I think the mm -hmm. recruiting process will be a little different. Um, Mexico is going to have a big effect yeah. on, you know, with them allowing 20 imports, that's going to have a big effect on all of us in independent ball. Uh, that's going to have a, a trickle down effect. And so we're going to have to kind of see how that develops. Yeah, it's definitely gonna be. I know when I got told that from one of my guys over in the Mexican league, I was like, "Whoa, okay, big roster expansion coming down there." And I was happy for a lot of guys, though. I was like, "This is gonna give a lot of guys a, a really good opportunity, though." But well, I mean, last year we had a guy named Cole Cook, and oh Cole's yeah, going Cole. down he was pitcher of the year, and yeah. um, you know, he's getting paid big money, and yeah. you know, again, Cole was one of my former players, yeah. so I was really thrilled for him having a great year, and um you know what a great opportunity for him to go to go to the mexican league so we're wishing him you know really great career same thing with sandoval um yeah. you know i talked to sandy and he's he's heading there as well yeah go for him yep yeah definitely so uh again we appreciate you taking the time to go and and talk to us for about nearly two hours now <laughs> and uh, i can tell you this is probably a top Five interview probably definitely wow. so another grade from nick yeah i would go that far because see here's the thing i'm never gonna say i don't appreciate people coming on the show i always do but there's ones where like as we're talking i'm like okay it's gonna be pretty standard and then there's other ones where you could tell okay both people are really into this and it's gonna be a really good time and this is definitely one of those um well i appreciate guys thanks for having me on and uh um i look forward to hearing future future podcasts hey, we'll keep producing them so. <laughs> keep grading people that we shouldn't be grading <laughs> thanks guys uh, talk to you soon no, thank no, you very thank much you, Mike. appreciate it Once again, I just want to thank Mike for coming on the show. Appreciate him taking the time to talk to us. And as you can tell, he had a lot of fun with like the two other episodes where we were talking about him and mentioning the grade on there. So our B rate show was very entertaining to all. So I'm happy about that. And uh, we'll definitely be looking to have him on again as the season gets underway. And uh, we'll talk more about that then. But um, yeah. I'm just flattered he listens. I mean, you know, occasionally when somebody's yeah. like, hey, you don't want to see this. Yeah. uh but you know or b minus this how about it uh <laughs> but you know you. really i'm just thrilled anybody listens frankly if you're listening you, to this check you and are you okay you'd be surprised how many people listen to this or at least download it i don't have plays anymore but i can see downloads yeah. do you have anything else left before we end off the show um i have some content dropping this week very excited oh good dude you yep. pl plug that content that comes out once uh, every seven months listen uh, I'm not guaranteeing YouTube content because I've uh, that's a bigger project. But I will tell you, Instagram content will happen. I might be starting a TikTok, bro. Might oh. be chaos. No chaos. Just there. Chinese eyewear on the phone. Probably. You know why not? I've, I I hope someone wastes. I'm gonna waste their time like a waste that FBI agent's time who's been I having really to track every movement so, I make since 2011. I've shown you our Chinese numbers before, and frankly, they're lacking. So I need someone to go ahead and ingrain themselves to the CCP. 
go ahead and get that uh, Wayne the Pooh looking guy to start listening to the show. Educate him on the finer points of independent league baseball. Shout out Shang Zin. I think this episode's over, right? <laughs> yeah. So is Andy Ball Nation all the platforms, correct? Yes, sir. Who knows what the TikTok will be? I'll share it somewhere else on a more relevant platform that won't give you spyware. Okay, that's good. I'm going to try to get caught down. I'm not going to promise nothing. You get this show every week, so that's kind of doing something. It's a miracle in itself, my guy. It is. It really is. B-plus effort from me. So <laughs> I'm not going to lie and say it's A effort. It ain't. <laughs> if it was A plus effort, it wouldn't have taken us 35 minutes to come up with an intro to run through this show in 30. Okay. Oh, and I wouldn't man. be trying to look on your phone through this uh, Google Meet. Just seeing if we got an angry text yet for how long oh. this is dragging. It's coming. Don't worry. Any case, oh. <laughs> any ball pod on Twitter, any ball report everywhere else. Keep an eye on that. Who knows? Maybe there'll be content. I don't know. Maybe but you may. Exciting. We do. We're all living and dying with it, buddy. We're excited. Exactly. Until next time, don't forget to play ball. <laughs>